Hello everyone and welcome to Autism Stories. I'm your host Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. One of the biggest stressors in our lives is when we have to worry about money. When we don't have to worry about money, it certainly improves the quality of our lives. For autistic people, the rates of finding and maintaining employment are certainly not what we want for them, them to be at because employment initiatives may not be suited for their needs. On this episode of Autism Stories, Andrew Camaro joins us to talk about how self-employment may be a great option for some autistic people, as well as discussing financial planning that works best for their lives. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Andrew, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Wanted to start out by learning where does your story in the autistic community begin? Well, on May 1st, 1989, I was born. No, uh, just kidding. In all seriousness, it's only been uh, the past couple years. I was coming to terms with my diagnosis and looking to feel a part of something. Honestly, it's hard to imagine a time where I was not involved with the community, that it encompasses so much of my life every day. It's amazing and challenging at the same time. One thing we have in common is that we're both entrepreneurs. You're the founder of Planning Across the Spectrum, which provides comprehensive financial planning to autistic people or their, and or their care teams of those on the spectrum or that have intellectual disabilities to feel financially free and enhance their quality of lives. Why is this mission so important to you? So I've been a financial planner for a decade now, and I like it because I like solving complex problems and helping people. And I always knew that I wanted to do more and give back to a community. However, I never really felt that I had a sense of community. So after diagnosis, all I had was an idea, uh, a name, uh, something I wanted to do. I was very nervous about you know, pivoting my business. But it was something I felt I, I needed to do. Love being an entrepreneur, helping other entrepreneurs, and really giving back to, you know, a community that needs more help than average and is getting essentially no help. Now, you talked about having the idea, but then moving beyond the idea sometimes can be very... Um, frightening for for people and kind of stop them in their tracks. What were were there some things that helped you to move from idea to creation? So one nice thing is that I had already, you know, it wasn't that different from what I was currently doing. I had, you know, the expertise, the knowledge, the skill set. I had a lot of what was needed already. And when I do something new, I, although I have a, a million ideas at any given time, if I'm going to start something, I want to do it well, make sure that that's working well, and then move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. If you have a uh, hundred ideas and none of them are implemented, it's better to have one or two that you know work well, which is hard to keep myself back on track. 
but no, it, so things evolve, things, you know, I'm doing things that I never would have expected, even with the thought or the idea. I think being more comfortable and open, especially with myself, really let things forward as well. You talk about a hundred ideas in your head at a given time, and I laugh because I can I can relate. So I'm just curious from your perspective as an entrepreneur, what is your thought process in determining which of those ideas are going that you're going to move on and 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 the the ideas that you're that are just going to remain in your head? So if it's if it's an idea that can be, you know, implemented fairly, you know, quickly, then you know, I have a phrase when I'm asked why I do something that looks like it was stupid, I say, well, it seemed like a good idea at the time. And that's always my answer because it's always true or I wouldn't have done it. But if it seems like a good idea at the time and it's not a huge, you know, ongoing commitment, I can test it, I'll probably just go ahead or bounce it off a, a few um, other entrepreneurs or, or colleagues in order to not get overwhelmed. One thing in particular that's been really helpful is I make a, a note and I have, you know, my life's managed by my tasks, my calendar, but I'll make one out a year for some of these ideas and or several months and I'll look at it then and sometimes it's, oh, that was a really good idea. I need to do that. And some half the time it's what was I thinking? So, or I can just go back to that list if for whatever reason I, I want to look at a new idea. There are certainly barriers to being an entrepreneur, but I can make the case that there are as many barriers for autistic people and working for someone else. Do you think more autistic people should be looking at this idea of entrepreneurship for their own lives? 100%. I think, you know, we as a community are especially more suited to be entrepreneurs and traditional employment has failed us. Um, one of the things more recently added to my, you know, mission statement is helping, you know, employers, right, and helping the individuals themselves, but in the financial way that really isn't being looked at. And I, we have the assumptions all wrong with neurodiversity and hiring. We have all these employment initiatives. And first off, if Microsoft hires 100 people with autism, that is nothing for the population of autism, right? Probably 6 million plus United States or the amount of people in, you know, employed by Microsoft. But what we're missing is what if, you know, are the value propositions wrong? Like we're assuming that neurodiverse individuals want jobs, that they want jobs in tech. And what if they don't, you know, what if like the, again, this traditional work, culture, work environment, you know, it's not just the pay. We're, we're assuming that they want the jobs, even if they're available. And I, I think that's a flawed assumption. Now, thinking back, what were some of the first steps you took on your journey of entrepreneurship? I will say, well, money's always interested me. That's why I do what I do. Sales always interested me. It took me a long time to admit it, but every entrepreneur is in sales. As a teenager, I sold 
burned music CDs. I collected soda cans to redeem. And even at 19, I sold discounted stamps to doctor's offices. So if you believe in what you're doing and you're very knowledgeable about it and you're genuine, I I think that goes a long way to starting any business. It can be harder, you know, at first it's a lot of work, but it's very rewarding. So I would say, I think I just have that mindset of always being, you know, an entrepreneur and, you know, my biggest problem is too many competing ideas, you know, at any given time. So your business is financial planning, and that can certainly be a process that can be very confusing to many. So how do you go about simplifying this process for your clients so they can make the best financial decisions for their lives? I have a saying that you really need to know where you want to go before how you can figure out how you're going to get there. I also find it's really important to simplify things. Give easy to follow, again, just like step-by-step instructions. My goal is to make things as simple and easy as possible. One of my favorite quotes is, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. So it's very daunting. It's also just a very vague term. Nobody comes to me and they say, or for the most part, it's they're looking to have a problem solved and, you know, part of financial planning in whatever capacity that is, I'm I'm helping them solve for the problem. But it can mean many different things to many different people, which I, I think just amplifies the confusion. Something that helps disabled people in managing their money are ABLE accounts. For our listeners that may not be that familiar with ABLE accounts, what exactly are they and how can they be helpful to autistic and all disabled people? ABLE accounts are relatively new accounts. They're called 529A. College savings accounts are called 529s. So they're modeled after similar regulation. These accounts will allow an individual to save money on a tax advantage basis and still maintain eligibility for government benefits. Although the majority of ABLE accounts are used to help qualify or maintain government benefits, that is not a requirement and it's not the only reason. So if somebody asks me if they should open an ABLE account, I, I say saving money is a never a bad idea. However, is it the best idea or are there other things to consider? I mean, potentially, but you know, putting $100 in a savings account is never a bad idea. I read that you yourself have an ABLE account. How do you use that account in your own overall personal financial plan? I strongly believe that if I am going to talk about something or recommend something, first off, I want to be able to understand everything about it, which I'm sure you can relate to. And so in order to understand something as much as possible, I want to do it myself and experience myself. So that was part of my first thought. I have enough life insurance where I'm amazed that, you know, my wife hasn't manufactured a car accident by now for a similar reason. But I use it, so there are tax advantages, tax deductions, tax-free growth, but I think it's helpful to be able to save for more shorter-term goals, right? Retirement is such an abstract thing so, so far away 
for everyone. It, it's nice to be able to say the money I'm saving can be for, you know, a car, a house, you know, no someone saving for, you know, a therapy dog. So having a more specific short-term goal, I think is, you know, helpful to encourage that savings. Do you see uh, many common misconceptions about that people have about ABLE accounts? I am not sure that there's enough people who know what they are to have common misconceptions. I would say if I were to give, you know, a few, one is that you need to be on government benefits in order to have an ABLE account. And, and that is not true. You need to, you know, meet the definition of disability certified by a physician usually. And I even have, you know, sample, you know, letters that, you know, I've used, you know, to submit and open them. I, I think, you know, the other, that would, I think that'd be kind of the main misconception. I wish there were more misconceptions, right? That means more people would know about them and be able to use them. Do you do you think that w when someone has a diagnosed disability that they, they or their family members should look to open an ABLE account or is it more of an individualized situation based on, you know, what their financial situation is? Uh, again, I never think it's a bad idea for somebody to open an ABLE account and you know, start saving a little bit of money. If you're only putting a few dollars away, I recommend an ABLE account where there isn't, you know, a $30 fee every year for having it. That really eats away at, you know, a low balance, like $100. Sure that there may be other things to consider, but I don't want somebody to do nothing and hold off because they don't feel that they can do everything. Doing a step of something in the right direction is definitely better than doing nothing. I always remind myself and encourage people, are you better off than you were before? Is this a step in the right direction? So I think to answer your question, it, it, it's a good idea. I think if you have money to save and you want to save and the person qualifies, I, I don't think it's a bad idea. Is there other things you should be considering? Yes. Is it the best option? I Again, I don't know. It's very individualized. What I would say is, what is the reason that Enable Account is looking to be open? The reason, especially in my field, the reason why you do something is 10 times more important than what you did. You, It's important to know what you want to do and then, you know, rely on someone to help you figure out, well, okay, well, here's the tools you need, you know, to get there. Enable Account's a tool. For our listeners that want to learn more about ABLE accounts and how they could go about setting them up, uh, what suggestions do you have for them? So the ABLE National Resource Center, that's ablenrc.org, has a really has lots of really good information, lots of really good tools. I am an uh, an ABLE ambassador for the ABLE National Resource Center for 2020. And, but they are a good, they're not associated. They're just a, a nonprofit to encourage ABLE accounts. Generally, I recommend if your state has an ABLE account, then you go through the one associated with your state. There are usually 
lower costs and uh, potential tax deductions. However, you don't have to do your state. And for example, in Connecticut, where our state doesn't have one, um, I, I recommend either Fidelity or Ohio. Thinking about making the best financial decisions for our lives in the midst of a pandemic when making those decisions, it's even more difficult. What advice do you have for autistic people during the pandemic or just about in any financial crisis? Well, I don't know if this question was inspired. I did uh, an article just on this uh, for, you know, Auto Spectrum News, because I think it is a very important topic and question. I think, you know, the biggest thing to know is that, you know, the crisis will end, right? Things will get better. And although it's not helpful when you're out of a job to say, well, I should have saved more, there, there's still things that you can do. I've found, you know, just a few very simple things, and I know there's a lot more out there, is negotiate, you know, utility bill, cable bills, look at what you're, you know, spending every month, for example. And a lot of times if you just call and yell at Comcast, they lower the rates. It's actually kind of a hobby of mine. Uh, check your credit score. Everyone should have a credit card uh, when they turn 18, even if you just put Netflix on it and pay it off automatically every month. It affects insurance. It affects not just, you know, buying a home, but it affects jobs. It affects getting an apartment. So, and the biggest factor is length of credit. Actually, I would suggest to everyone get a small credit card, put one charge on it, pay it every month. I think is if you if you don't have one, that's some of the best advice I can give. Well, Andrew, I really appreciate your time. Thanks uh, so much for making time today and talking with me. Of course. Thank you. Thanks to everyone for listening, and thanks so much to Andrew for the conversation. To learn more about the services Andrew provides, you can find a link in the podcast description for this episode. If you would like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. In addition to Autism Stories, Autism Personal Coach has monthly events for autistic people based on special interest and intersectionality. Check out these events in the podcast description of this episode. On next week's episode of Autism Stories, we will talk with Katina Burkett about how professionals can better support black autistic people. Talk to you then.